Welcome back, everybody, to Cross Streets. As many of you guys know, Cross Streets is a podcast about race, culture, and soul care. Through sharing stories and engaging in conversations around issues of race in our country, we hope to promote the possibility of authentic cultural exchange between people of different races. And today, we are here with our friend Nick George. What's going on, Nick? I'm, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. So good to have you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So for those of you who don't know, Nick George is the founder and executive director of The Listening Incorporated. The Listening is a performing arts community in Lynchburg, Virginia, and its aim is to engage, change, and save lives with the performing arts. And in 2018, The Listening partnered with a local college in Lynchburg to create a freedom school. We love freedom schools, Nick. Yes, yes. Oh, man, I almost busted into a chair just now. Hey, man. <laughs> we can have a little Harambe on the podcast. Right. <laughs> but man, tell, tell us a bit about um, the listening, man. Like, what inspired you to create it? Oh, uh, man, the story of the listening actually precedes um, a lot of our, our moves over the past couple of years. Um, before it even was um, a nonprofit or before we got incorporated, um, the idea was that people could gather collectively, creatively to be as passionate as possible. Um, it was uh, after Obama's second election where I observed um, the, you know, the oppositional sides and the internal sides and everybody was just talking at each other. And from my perspective, it didn't seem that people were actually listening to each other. Um, I thought that there should be a space where you were encouraged to be passionate because you don't want to take that away from the people. You want them to be as passionate as possible but to pay more attention to what's being said and be intentional with what they were actually saying. Um, we got together with um, some friends in our loft, me and my wife. We watched a couple of documentaries and a couple months later I said, you know, let's make this an actual thing. Um, fun fact, in case there's any trivia that comes up, uh, the name actually comes from an album by a group called Little Brother um, back in 02, I think, either 02 or 03. Mm-hmm. And um, this album, aside from it being one of my favorite albums, easily top 10 in my, for me, um, it's, it's an amazing journey through um, a period of listening throughout the day. And the title track of the album talks about how artists tend to weigh more on how they're saying it than what they're saying. And I thought that would be um, an interesting element, you know, to encourage people to actually mm-hmm. listen, not just hear it, not just let it dance in their ears, but process what you're receiving. Mm. So for you, like the idea of, of what you said, actually listening was kind of being able to like have a, a space to process it together as a community as well, or is it like a personal reflection sort of space? Um, I think there's capacity for both. I think mm-hmm. that um, a part of our mission statement is community engagement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the conversations, whether it be at an open mic or one of our potluck circles or even at some of our programs, um, we allow space for people to reflect on what's going on culturally and socially, but we also recognize that there's a lot that goes on internally, which is why we try to reflect also on mental health. So um, it is a lot and it does take nuance, but I think that we um, we take place in this community that's, you know, has enough dimensions to be able to do that dance, I think. Mm-hmm. Love that man. I know I feel like this, it's got to be for at least the last seven years, right? That you guys have been engaging Lynchburg's creative community with open mics, movie screenings, performances, showcases. 
and there seems to be like a central um, theme of if you had a room full of people willing to listen to you, what would you say? So I wanted to know about um, the kinds of performances and, and what have been some of the things people have been willing to say during those performances. What themes have you seen arise <laughs> in the last seven years? Man, I mean, it's, it's, it's hit all corners of it. You know, if you leave something that open to people, um, you've got to be willing to be brave with them and mm. and not you know not inhibit what they have coming out and also right. trust that they take it seriously trust that they approach it with that same um nerve if you will um one thing that we try to do is present each outing each event with a theme with a focus um so that helps corral some of the energy so we've jumped on themes from coltrane's a love supreme Mm-hmm. to um miseducation i think we did that a few years ago mm-hmm. last um i think it was last winter um our theme was all right from uh kendrick's track yeah. uh, that joint was fun oh, <laughs> uh, it was fun and it was fun in the way of you know joy being a resilient revolutionary rebellious act mm-hmm. and persisting um i think there was a you know a moment prior to that where it was just another page in another chapter of the catalog of disenfranchised people groups being mm-hmm. you know, victimized and whatnot. So to be able to lean into a joy at the top of the year and saying, you know, we are going to be all right because we are here together. And mm-hmm. um, in that, trying to create a trend of inviting people in the room who would respect that. Mm-hmm. who would see that, who would respect that. Because in creating space, uh, like I said before, not just for the artists, for the audience as well, they have to know that it's okay for them to be there. Yeah. If you come with some recklessness and some wildness, you can see the door because we want to keep our people safe. And right. by our people, that's you know our team members or people who just got five bucks to donate and want to be a part of the movement. Mm-hmm. Sure. So will you guys listen to like a track, like All Right, or, you know, something from Lauren Hill, and and then kind of, like, process it together and ask questions and sort of spend time um, talking through that particular song and the themes that that, that are raised in it? That, you know, that's a great question. I actually wish I got asked that question more often <laughs> um, because we're actually at that stage now of being able to digest it collectively. Mm. Um, for many years, I was predominantly coming up with the context and the theme and the setup of it. Um, but since we've become a nonprofit, you know, myself along with our board of directors has been more intentional about inviting more people. Like, you know, that quote, if you had a room full of people willing to listen to you, we've been trying to be intentional about curating that room so that way the listening reflects more of the community and less of mm-hmm. one man. Mm-hmm. So, so in that, um, a perfect example, we've transitioned to having our open mics virtual since Mm -hmm. uh, the virus impacted us. And a few weeks ago, we were talking about, hey, it would be dope if we had an open mic just for producers. And everybody was hype. Everybody was lit. And it's like, yo, that would be amazing. Just like a, not even a versus level beat battle, just like local cats, homies, we know that, hey, yo, come on and show us what you got. And then um, Ahmaud Arbery's murder came to light. Right. And it was like, okay, all right, so we got to pivot. It, we Not just tone deaf, we weren't on that level. We weren't on that page. And we were able to process that together and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then a week later, 
George Floyd, you know, responding to Breonna Taylor and all of that, and other folks, queer folks, trans folks, black folks that have been murdered. So we're like, okay, we're feeling this. And not only are we feeling that, you know, something is wrong here and we can't just move on as business as usual, there's rage mm-hmm. and righteously so. And that's when we had a virtual um, open mic specifically for black artists called Black Rage. Mm. Um, so we 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 want to you know be able to be aware and be sensitive to what's going on around us without being reactive, and that in that includes having a community discussion. Um, and I and I think at, at this season specifically, it's been very very helpful for us. Because mm-hmm. what I what I hear is like this commitment to building relationships. Um, and and I wanted to know like. Uh, that journey, like, how did it evolve to understanding that you needed diversity and that creative expression? Like, what, what has that journey been like for you? Man, you know what? Um, if I can be honest, it's been a challenge. Um, it's, been, it's been a challenge because um, you ask any nonprofit founder, initiative, starter, go-getter, anybody that's used to starting things, they get comfortable in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. you get real comfortable in the cockpit and I didn't want to admit that about myself because I wanted to like have that flexibility I I didn't want to really be slave to my ego Mm -hmm. but I had to recognize you know because there 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 are charges on Mm -hmm. that bill um I've had a lot of friendships and relationships get challenged and that's supposed to be the opposite of what we're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's supposed to be the opposite of what we're doing um to pivot that to a different perspective, um, organizationally speaking, there is a sunrise and there's a sunset. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I say that with full awareness that I had this thinking as I was watching Avengers Infinity War. That's real, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And should the day come where the sun sets on my time with the listening, that can't be the end of the organization. It still has to go on. And the new Avengers got to come through. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to really pivot my thinking um, and have my identity be more, you know, firm in the things around me. Like I have a full family, like there's a full family and a whole identity that has nothing to do with art, nothing to do with hip hop or dance or poetry or social justice. Mm -hmm. And those are the parts of my identity that have to survive this, that Mm -hmm. have to be able to, to, to do more work. Um, my vitality isn't limited to this season. So yeah. um, just a lot of different parts of maturation and development on my part um, where I had to you know, put ego to the side. That's not to say that I'm not as passionate about it as I was in 2013, um, but the game has changed. And you know, it's, it's important to be intentional um, and look at the levels that that takes place. Mm-hmm. When I was visiting your site, just the the idea of being able to use performing arts that, um, you know, it's more than just for entertainment purposes, obviously, but you also really prioritize um, connecting to the healing properties of that when you were talking about creating a space for Black rage and just that expression. How do you feel like you guys are connecting to the healing properties of performing arts? Like, what are other examples of that? And how important is that to you? Um, I... I connect with that part on a very personal level um, just because of my own journey. Um, my parents are coming from the island of Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Shout out Caribbean Awareness Month. And, mm-hmm. um, and with that being the case, 
music is always there. Um, Chris can attest definitely to my dad being that the mm-hmm. one that's got the bass. I don't know how many bass guitars my dad has right now. Wow. So many. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and not just that, but just growing up in Newark, being surrounded by that vibrancy. I went, I played piano as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined a theater group in high school. Mm-hmm. I was in the open mic scene growing up. So like that was a big part of my growing up. Um, but during the roughest part of like middle and high school, when I like journeyed into like those valleys of suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. it was music that at least didn't have me feeling alone. You know, mm. and that's all kinds of music. That's everything from gospel to CCM to I'll say soft rock. People got feelings about Lincoln Park, so I'm gonna just call it. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, Evanescence, Hoobastang, Lincoln Park, like all of that was how I stayed afloat. Mm-hmm. And one of the tr- most tragic lies about depression is that no one else can understand or no one else can feel it. So if we're looking at the performing arts as a community building exercise, that right there is an act against that. And it mm. speaks to the catharticism that can take place when you use a performing arts in that way. If you use it primarily or exclusively for entertainment, it's crucial, it's helpful, it has utility, but there's so much more to be done, you know? Yeah. There's, so, there's so much more to be done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it, it makes me think about uh, that old expression from KRS, edutainment, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you're, you're entertaining folks, but you're educating them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to know, did that, your experience um, coming up, like influence you um not just for like the listening but when you um took that step to partner with a local college in lynchburg to start a freedom school in your community like how 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 were you inspired to take that step that was definitely a group move um our board chair our current board chair um dr dory baker um i met her over a discussion about having a freedom school um she works with the forum for theological exploration and and she's uh she's been one of our strongest advocates and supporters, and that was the beginning of our relationship. And in many ways, that was a catalyst um, to kicking it off. My mm-hmm. first summer, ironically, my first summer with the Freedom School program was ten years ago, exactly ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Bethany cares, and mm-hmm. that was one of the most transformative experiences I had. Um, mm-hmm. To this day, mm-hmm. to this day, I you know it's like meeting my wife and working at a freedom school. Like, wow, that's <laughs> incredible. Um, so that's it was the like right 10 order too, man. I she's right over there, so I can't mess that up and I can't get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it was always in my heart to continue being connected to the work of, you know, if not Children's Defense Fund, then at least being connected to uh, supporting young people and having them uh, be exposed to things that reinforce their identity, um, their cultural identity and, and, and literature. So when, you know, I realized that this organization that I started was starting to pick up speed and, and gain traction, I started to wonder, like, what if we could really apply this thing in more ways? Right. Um, what if we can actually do what we're saying and jump off the stage and actually listen to people, but give them something dope to listen to? Mm-hmm. Um, 
when we began that conversation in 2018 about like, all right, we're serious, y'all. We're, we're going to bring a freedom school. We're going to show you what a freedom school is, the history behind it, why it's needed, and why we need y'all's help. Um, we got contacted by many local colleges that wanted to be a part of it. Um, but Randolph College was the first college campus that joined us in advocating and talking about it and speaking about it. Um, they have a history uh, because they used to be uh, just like for a women's college. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think that they have uh, some skin in the fight of equality and, and you know, community building. Right. And, you know, since then they've been nothing but supportive of this movement, uh, supportive of the listening's effort to use literature in our mission to expand the opportunities for our young people. Right. And can you share maybe a little bit about the, the just the passion you have for education and the obvious need for good readers in order to create good poets and good writers and good rappers and, you know, just great musical artists as well? I, um, so I'm a big J. Cole fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> he uh he just dropped a track and there are no shortage of opinions about it mm. what was saddening to me was the part where he was explaining his rationale for dropping the song and he said he doesn't really do a lot of reading um salute that man um i just love to see another black man get paid like if there's no quotable ever that's one mm. um so salute to j cole but to to be able to state that so cavalierly, mm-hmm. I feel, um, sets up an, a, a troublesome narrative considering his level of success. I don't want to take too much time on you know, respectability politics and so on and so forth, but I think it's important that our young people know how important it is to be, not. I don't want to say well-read, but to know what's available out there to be read and to be consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I could talk forever just about that, just about how important that is, because there's too many of our young people that don't know about the legacy of writers before them. Too many young people that want to be achieve at least a high level of achievement and don't know how important that reading is, how don't, don't, don't see the world's connecting. That was one of the hurdles that we had to jump through as an organization to be able to explain why a summer reading enrichment program, what does that have to do with, open mics. I thought all y'all did was just open mics. How do you connect Mm -hmm. that? You can't have a J. Cole without a Ralph Ellison. You can't have, you know, you can't have Cardi B without Maya Angelou. You know, there Mm -hmm. are various touch points in between there, but these people paved the way. These people have had things said about them and they had a reply. They had a comeback because of their level of intelligence and how much they consumed, how much literature they consumed. I'm going to stop there because that opens another doorway into education reform. So I'm coming back for the next podcast y'all have on that topic. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. because I I hear what you're saying though, because, you know, I I, I often uh, would tell my students that uh, good writers are good readers, right? Mm -hmm. You can't embrace one half of the craft and then throw the other half of the craft away. So our first summer was stressful and anxious and beautiful and empowering and all of the things that I imagined the first Freedom Summer looked like in 1964. Wow. Because 
this community hadn't really seen it like that in this context. Um, I do think that whenever you are starting something out, you need um, you need a, a good stretch of track in front of you to be able to accurately process and understand the impact. Mm -hmm. um, I've personally had some of those scholars ask, hey, are we coming back next summer? Are we doing this again? There are some scholars that don't care, that they were glad for that last day to just go back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for the rest of our team because I know that we've walked away with a great sense of accomplishment but awareness that you know this is where the work comes in because now we have to follow up not just follow up for the sake of coming out with a sequel album but follow up in terms of like being true to our mission and continuing the work hmm. personally um i felt that it was the perfect setup is is the perfect setup to show why we need to change the way we look at literature, the way we listen to our young people, the way we include culture in these conversations, the way we talk about how arts can be used as activism. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was the perfect setup for those conversations. We joked at the top of this about introducing Harambe and having that, but you know, imagine that impact. Like there's a reason why they decided for the national anthem to be sung at sporting events. That wasn't always the case, mm -hmm. but there's a reason why those rituals were started. And I, I think that it would mean a lot to keep that going. Um, unfortunately, you know, that Rona came over and took everything off the table. Right. And um, unfortunately, we made the very, very, very hard decision to suspend that program for this summer. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's always a rose somewhere in the bush. And I think once again, there's massive opportunities to talk about why, especially after this crisis, especially after the social unrest, why we need programs like Freedom Schools in our school system, if not replacing our school system. Yeah, yeah I said absolutely. It. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel like the listening uh, in connects to like the values of the Freedom School? How do they kind of complement each other as as programs and as the events that you host and the ways that you guys are involved in your in your community to impact the youth? Um, to keep it concise, uh, the people, the voices of the people, um, one of the ways that we we connect and share space and our compatriots in this work is that we both listening and the children's defense fund believe in the voices of the people. Mm -hmm. um, their, their focus is on, you know, child advocacy and reform uh, and all of things that like empower young people to achieve and hit those main head starts, uh, not men starts, five starts head is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, the listening joins alongside that by believing that, people are walking around every day. And CDF is just one of our partners. We have many partners that also believe that um, people walk around with so many stories inside of them. Right. And without a release valve, with, without a release valve, there's so much unheard and understated and misunderstood that, that takes place. Um, if we take the time and realize how important it is, especially in a community of people, we're not talking about a monolith. We're not talking about, uh, you know, some sort of, major regime where everybody is the same. Mm -hmm. Every community is made up of people with so much dimensions and diversity inside of them. If we prioritize it differently and made space to hear from each other without agenda, there's so much impact that can happen after that. 
I love that, man. So, so tell me a little bit about your hope and future for the listening, man. Like, where, where do you, um, in a post-COVID world, where do you see um, the listening? You talked a little bit about it filling that gap um, because of the pandemic and the social unrest, the Fed uprising. Where do you see um, this, like, really filling in the gap? Locally, I, um, I'd love for the listening to be in a position and have the resources behind us to, to really go at, go at this thing unfettered. And by this thing, I mean showing, really showing the community what it looks like, where we use the performing arts as a catalyst to the conversation, but it's, that's not the conversation we're having. Like, we can talk about most deaf all day long. I, at least I can. I can connect the Soulquarians to just about anything. But if, if we don't have that conversation as a caveat to talking about um, community injustices, if we don't use it as a caveat to talk about why here at Lynchburg there are too many queer and trans folks afraid for their lives and their livelihood mm-hmm. to be, you know, just to be. Um, why so many of these things happen around us. Mm. It's my hope for us to be able to address that aggressively um, and still maintain our identity as an organization that's still open to the people. We're just not afraid to go there. We're just not afraid to go there. Um, For additional context for your listeners, um, here in Central Virginia, it's it's a considerably conservative atmosphere. Mm. So... I, I totally understand the apprehension that some may have about um, being that vocal or, or having something like that grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be my hope and dream that after all of this, that um, if this is indeed our revolution, that the listening is a part of that conversation, that the listening is, is able to, to do our part in that conversation and mm-hmm. you know keep this thing, keep this movement moving. Mm-hmm. What are some like tangible examples of your mission to engage, change, and save lives? So, I I believe that the heart of the listening happens at our open mics. Mm. Um, I believe that that's not just what we're known for, um, or just what we're good at, but it's like easily the most distilled and consumable way to understand what we're about. Mm-hmm. Um. Second to that, um, in our partnership with the Urban Confessional Movement, um, what, what, what we did at the most recent protest was offer free listening, um, which is as simple and straightforward as it sounds, just, just listening to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has given us an opportunity, both like our volunteers and our board of directors, like every person that's a part of the listening's inner community, mm-hmm. gave us an opportunity to not just be from a distance planning events and doing our own thing, but mm-hmm. uh, actually hear from people, actually talk to people um, and not necessarily talk back with our opinions or anything like that, because sometimes people just need to get it out. Yeah. Um, some people, sometimes when you resound with the quote from MLK that, you know, writing is a language of the unheard. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you just plop down a chair with a sign that says free listening automatically write, stop happening. That just speaks to the, to the depth and the gravity of what's not being heard. But that is one thing that we've tried to um, 
that's one void that we tried to fill in and mm. and, and literally engage with the community in that way. Mm. Um, another example would be our uh, Battle Symphonies program, which we <laughs> ironically really tried to kick off this year. And we had plans. Everybody had plans. We had plans all March and April and then all of this. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, some somebody didn't go to Nineveh and things just started going down. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's designed to be a peer support group for, um, let's say college age adults who, you know, are dancing that, that battle with depression and suicide and want to use not just art, but community to, um, to navigate through it. Mm. Wow. I love that. And are you guys, so the, the events that you guys are hosting, it's open mics and other live events. Are you guys doing kind of like breakout groups and things like that in smaller kind of groups of people as well? Or is it mostly like a larger community that comes together? With it being virtual, um, Mm. we've really left that door wide open. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like wide open, just because we have the capacity to tap into each other's networks that aren't limited to, I shouldn't say limited, um, aren't necessarily restricted to, you know, local geography. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, and that's one example. The other is a project that we started with um, a local opera nonprofit called Opera on the James called Life These Days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that originally was supposed to just be an opportunity to to hear from young people, uh, help help them develop and create their own poetry and then pair them with a classically trained composer. Mm-hmm. Um, as the past couple weeks have shown us, more has been changing and life these days means something different to our kids. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we try to maintain collaborative focus points, but also community building and relationship building. Because one awesome thing about these composers is that they've been really, really intentional Mm-hmm. They're like some of them are like all across the country, all across the world, but they've been really, really intentional about using the virtual format to engage with these scholars, engage with these students, and learn more about them, and integrate what they talk about into the final composure. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's powerful! I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that program and mm-hmm. just you know, seeing it develop. Just because it's another example, you know. It's, it's another example about testing the boundaries of what we're used to art being. Like, like the, many of the community members that I've come into contact with are still learning about spoken word. Mm-hmm. But if you start young and have these kids trained into speaking up for themselves and advocating, and then matching that with an art form like classical art, like mm-hmm. you know, violins and stuff like that, you know, I don't know the most about it, but just imagining the, the, the beauty that would come from that, the impact that that would have, not just for the student themselves, seeing something they wrote transformed like that, mm-hmm. but the community witnessing, you know, the potential of what's out there. I, I wanted to um, ask you, uh, bro, if you had thought about expanding the listening to other cities, because I know so much of what you're saying is so tied to the um, Central Virginia region, but do you think, in short, is this a replicable model? Could someone start this in, in, in cities across the U.S. or even internationally? So here's my thought on that, um, because it is something I've thought about a lot. Um, I think that the listening exists in this region because this region needs it. Mm-hmm. I think that 
there are efforts being done all over, not just the state, not just this, you know, north, southeastern corridor, mm -hmm. but all across the country. And much of what the listening does is inspired by what's been done all over. You've got um, young writers out in Chicago. You got mm -hmm. Get Lit out in Cali. Mm -hmm. You've got, I mean, I don't even want to talk about U Street, like just that whole street alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like the work is being done. And there's so many more people that I like recognize the utility of art as activism, art as education, art as impact, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to necessarily rule that out and say that it's not, but it would be remiss of me to not recognize how much of what the listening is and does is inspired by our friends all around the country. Most of them we're partnered with, like we're partnered with the National Conversation Project. We're mm. partnered with the Children's Defense Fund. We, you know, we have so many of these relationships that allow us to be that foothold in this community because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. right. There might be a day where Central Virginia ends up being such a beast of an area, it no longer needs the listening. And then we say, thank you for the memories, you know, throw the deuces up and have a drink. When that day comes, cool, we will have done our <laughs> job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will have done our job so i don't want to rule it out and say that it's not replicable mm -hmm. because but we're not the genesis i'll say that yeah we're not the genesis that's that's mad humble i, I love that i love that <laughs> yeah. um y'all doing anything for uh juneteenth huh? oh absolutely absolutely brother man i mean if if the listening wasn't I for sure was doing something. I, I already, <laughs> I, I was, I was doing something definitely. Um, but no, we, we once again, you know, we partnered with a local organization with the um, Academy Center of the Arts here in Lynchburg, mm -hmm. and um, they're having a gallery uh, celebrating Black artists. I think most of them are local. Okay. Um, one of our board members, her daughter, actually has a has a piece up in the exhibit. Mm -hmm. um, but earlier in the day, we're having. Um, a virtual event, and one of the artists featured, Roscoe, oh man, Roscoe Burnham's, he is one of the most versatile, talented spoken word artists in Virginia. Mm. Um, yeah, he he's very dope, as a matter of fact. Um, and, you know, it's exciting to be able to do that, um, to do it in conjunction with another organization. Because if you're in arts work during this time, you thrive off of events and then you can't have events. So you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Um, right. But this live stream event, it's, uh, it's going to be happening on the Academy's Facebook page, um, Academy Center of the Arts. Uh, it starts at 1230. It's a live stream event. Um, we're just kicking it off with... Um, you know, blending multiple layers of artistry. The mayor is going to be speaking. There's going to be a performance on the stage. Um, but the feature, Roscoe Burnham's, will be coming through. He actually has a, uh, not a stand-up. I mean, it's kind of a stand-up, mm. but it's also a spoken word performance right. uh, that's very, like, traumatic and triggering, but hilarious and creative. Yeah. And pushing those buttons, pushing those boundaries, and using this sacred celebration. I said sacred celebration. Go on. One, more, one more time for the listeners in the back. <laughs> sacred celebration of, yes, of freedom. You know, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're excited about it. We're excited to partner with them. Um, the local Juneteenth coalition that's, you know, been, been a part of it and actually celebrating Juneteenth for the past 
I don't know how many years, long before I got to Lynchburg. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, that foothold is there and we're just, we're honored to be a part of it this year. That's great. Mm-hmm. And that, that live stream will be taking place tomorrow on Juneteenth. Yes, tomorrow, Juneteenth, 1230 Eastern Standard. Awesome. We will definitely include a link on our Facebook so that our listeners can join in. (laughs) And something we, Chris and I love doing is just providing a call to action. So obviously this is one of them that's very, very urgent for tomorrow. But um, Nick, what are other ways that we can support you guys at the listening, support your freedom school, ways that we can get involved and just be a part of what you guys are doing? Um, So one of the things that we've been working on is building our sustainability and in that inviting brave souls to be um, reoccurring supporters of our programming. Um, mm-hmm. There are there are definitely ways to do that. Our links are up on our website at welcometothelistening.org. But um, I can safely say without pause or hesitance that that is easily the, the best way because one thing that we're learning uh, especially during times like these, is that this work, while often without a thank you, um, is very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our time is is very, very valuable. Um, not to say that nothing prior to now has been deserving of that time, but this, this work does need to continue, and we do need support. We do need community help. Um, and as much as, as big as our community has grown and expanded, um, that is one element. The other, honestly, and I don't say this to be like a fake humble, um, employ the art of listening, honestly. Mm. You know, employ mm-hmm. the art of listening mm-hmm. because um, whenever the listening is gone and whenever Juneteenth replaces the 4th of July as a national celebratory day, <laughs> um, people will still need to be able to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, and that's why I appreciate y'all's podcast because it, I mean, it's in the name, like cross streets, but, you know, looking for those avenues of compassionate hearing, of being able to connect to people um, and not in that performative, perfunctory way where you're kind of listening, but you're just preparing your argument behind the scenes and you're ready to like act unsavory towards anybody else. Mm. But like actually any person that is conversing with you is coming from somewhere. So like like those thoughts and those feelings and those emotions come from somewhere. Yeah. If we, if we can't get to the point where we're really good at listening, our conversations are gonna suck. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Bro, but we we appreciate you so much, man, and definitely want to continue to just uh, support what you're doing, man. I've been excited um, about what you've been doing since the time I got to go. Uh, and see it in action myself. I don't remember what year that was, but the years blended together now. I don't. They they do. <laughs> they do. One one thing I'm a, I'm gonna add, bro, is um I don't know if you recognize it at the time, but our our time in Newark was like some part of like pregame for this work that that oh, we're doing. A thousand percent. Because I don't know if you remember Spoken Heard back in oh, what was that? Oh, 08? What was that? I think I was like oh wait, because I remember like. Either 08 or 07, because we, like, just turned 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think some of that Obama energy got into us, and we were, Ooh. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, all of that's, like, laid in there, and, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing, so I, I want to say to you guys, like, both of you, like, I appreciate y'all for, you know, being in that work of, like, starting and being a part of and instigating conversations and inviting me to be a part of it. 
such an honor so so good to hear more about what you guys are doing and how it's impacting your community it's incredible and incredibly inspiring so appreciate it now well as always um want to thank you all for listening uh especially to this episode with nick george uh Mm -hmm. founder and executive director of the listening um you know you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts. uh follow us on instagram at cross streets podcast um, we also have a Facebook group called Cross Streets Podcast Listener. So, you know, stay stay plugged in, man. We, we have uh, many great interviews to share with you and, and much to uncover. So much love to all of you. Be safe. <laughs>